Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. In our epistle lesson this morning from the book of Romans, Paul writes, Paul writes somewhat about sin. Uh, examples in our lesson today, he who has died in baptism is freed from sin. We should no longer be slaves of sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin. In all of his letters, Paul writes about sin. And when we look at the whole Bible, the whole Bible seems to be about sin. It's all over the place. The uh, first sermon I preached in seminary to our, uh, to our preaching class, it was about sin. I began that sermon with an old preacher's story, worn out preacher's story, about the little boy that went home from church and his mother asked him what the preacher preached about. And he said to his mother, he preached about sin. And his mother said, well, what did he say? And he said, he's against it. <laughs> I don't remember anything else about that sermon, but I'm pretty sure it went downhill from there. <clears throat> I do remember I do remember one thing that the professor said about that sermon. He said, it's real easy to preach about sin, but we must also preach about grace and our life with God, and that is very difficult. Back in 1964, Justice, Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart. He, uh, he handed down a, 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 an opinion that would become very famous, actually, unintentionally, I think, the case with Jacob Ellis versus Ohio, and it was a case about pornography. And Justice Stewart wrote, speaking about, speaking about pornography, he said that I really can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Well, that's true of all sin. We're familiar with sin, and sometimes we're too familiar with it. We know it when we see it. We know it when we hear it, when we taste it, when we smell it. We know it when we feel it. We know it because it's all around us, and not just that. It's part of who we are. That's why it's so easy for the preacher to preach about it, hopefully against it. But what about grace and our relationship with God, our life with God? For some reason, that, that, that just doesn't seem to be as easy to talk about. Oh, Paul talks a lot about grace in his letters. In fact, there may be more. He may write about grace as much, if not more, than sin. I haven't gone through to make an analysis, but it's all over the place in his letters as well as sins. Best example in Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. But concretely though, what's it like to be in the grace of God? What's it like to live with God in our life? What's it like to be in relationship with God? It appears to me the closest that Paul comes to that is in 2 Corinthians. When he talks about being caught up into the third heaven, the third heaven, 
That's about as close as you can get. But when we look at that relation, what Paul says here, it, it's strange. He, he, he doesn't even do it in the first person. He does it in the third person. I know a man who is caught up in the third heaven. We know it's Paul. But for some reason, he can't say, I was the one that was caught up in the third heaven. It's as though it's too personal, maybe. So Paul, what's it like to be in the presence of God? Well, can't tell you. I don't even know whether this man that was in heaven was in the body or out of the body. So, Paul, what did God say? He heard words, but Paul says, I can't tell you. The words are inexpressible. No one's permitted to speak those words. And I look at this and I think, you're not being real helpful here, Paul. <laughs> Paul's best benediction, he has several benedictions sprinkled through his letters. Probably the best known one is, The peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace of God, keep your hearts. But that peace, it's beyond all understanding. So how do we know God when God is unknowable? How do we know God? How are we with God when that's beyond all understanding? How can we who live in this world come into the presence of God? Live our life with God. Well, we make our attempt through prayer. But when we come for our time in prayer, all kinds of thoughts come into our head. Thoughts of this world, of our busy, sometimes terrible thoughts. When we're trying to pray in our most holy time, and horrible thoughts come into our head. And the more we try to block out these worldly thoughts and concentrate only on God and be spiritual, the more these thoughts and distractions assail us and they usually win. There's a story about St. Francis of Assisi. There was a young brother in the monastery that was bragging somewhat about his, the depths of prayer that he was able to achieve. And St. Francis said to him one day, Brother, if you can spend one full minute in complete and concentrated prayer with no distractions whatsoever, one minute in prayer, I'll give you my mule. Well, the young brother dropped to his knees immediately and started fervently praying, completely concentrated in prayer. About 30, about 30 seconds later, he looks up and he says, Can I have the saddle too? <laughs> We have accounts of those who have overcome worldly distractions to achieve pure prayer. There's a little bitty book. It's really almost a pamphlet. It was written by a monk in Paris back in the 17th century, I believe. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence was the monk. And in this little book, his main thesis is that he attempted in his life to be always aware of the presence of God in his life and always aware of his relationship, no matter what he was doing, where he was, 
Always that presence was with him and he was aware of that presence. So who was this monk? The, uh, the, the monastery's mystic who spent hours in his cell praying and in conflict? No. He was the cook. Can you imagine cooking in the hot kitchen, the pots and the pans clean, the smells of the, the heat? Can you? And always through all of that being conscious of the presence of God in your life. I really can't imagine. Another story about St. Francis. He was hoeing his garden one day, and another monk came up to him and said, Brother Francis, what would you do if you were to learn that Jesus was to come within the hour? St. Francis answered, I'd finish hoeing my garden. Now that's something, when hoeing your garden, your life is as much with God as you are when you're on your knees in prayer. That escapes most of us today. Last week I had an issue with my cell phone, my 20-year-old flip phone. <laughs> and uh, I had to go down to the, the uh, cell phone store. And while I was doing business with the woman there, straightening out my issues, there was this awful music blaring from the speakers up in the ceiling. I mean, I mean, it just wasn't music. It was terrible, awful music. Now, some of you younger people might But I, finally, I said to the woman, how in the world do you people do business with that music blaring in your ears all day? So how do we pray with the awful distractions of this modern world? Playing constantly in our ears. We try to collect ourselves in our time of prayer. And our smartphone says, pick me up. Look at me. Check your messages. Open that new app. Play your favorite. Or whatever else that stupid phone says. <laughs> so what do we do? Well, one of the places to start is the Psalms and the prayers of the church. That's maybe the first place to start. A lot of you uh, never knew Father Anthony. Father Anthony was the priest in this church when I first came to this church. He died, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I guess, of cancer. The last time I visited Father Anthony in the hospital, uh, he was near death. He was very, very sick. I don't think he even was aware that I was there. But while I watched and while I prayed, he started praying. Clear, strong voice. And he was praying the prayers of the Psalms. He was praying the prayers of the church. He was praying the prayers of the Mass. And I don't think I've ever seen or heard anything quite like it. it. It was like the prayers were not coming from his lips but from somewhere deep in his soul or maybe even outside of his soul from somewhere else altogether. Psalms, prayers of the church, they're like spiritual arrows, our spiritual arrows which we can shoot into the very heart of heaven. 
it's best if we keep our quiver full of them. There's a little book that came out of Russia back in the 19th century. It's called The Way of the Pilgrim, uh, along with Brother Lawrence's book, and I would also recommend this one to you. Uh, it's, about a, uh, it's about a man who wandered through the countryside of Russia trying to find a holy man that could tell him how to follow Paul's instructions to pray without ceasing. How do we pray without ceasing? He finally did find such a holy man who instructed him in the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me. And the holy man instructed him to repeat that prayer. Oh, at first I think he said a thousand times in the day. Then it grew to 2,000, then 3,000. Before the pilgrim knew it, he was saying that prayer every waking moment. And it came to the point where his very heart was beating the prayer. And his very breathing was breathing the prayer. And he came to the point where he was almost one with God in his presence with him through that prayer. Now, we aren't pilgrims wandering through Russia. We have other things to do. But I would recommend that in your prayer time, this may be one way to, to, to possibly start. The Jesus Prayer. Say it for a few minutes, 30 minutes maybe. And through that Jesus Prayer, see if then God will empty you of all those other distractions that we all contend with. And, and pierce into your heart. There is an old technique in the church called Lectio Divina. literally means holy reading. It's where we read the Bible, but we don't read the Bible for knowledge particularly, or study the Bible. No, no. We read the Bible as though the Bible were God speaking to us, which it is. And we read the Bible to intentionally listen those things that God is going to teach us and to enter into our hearts. And it may be that we set alone to one particular verse, maybe one phrase, maybe just one word. And we throw that phrase or that word over in our mind and let that be our contemplation and let that be our way to becoming closer to God and inviting God into our hearts to to. to, to to change us and to change our hearts and our souls. There was once a young priest who went to a, well, it was his first parish, and right off he noticed that nearly every day there was a man who came into the church. And he came in and he sat in a pew, and that was it. He just sat there. Maybe for a few minutes, maybe for an hour. He just sat there. He didn't get out a prayer book. His lips weren't moving. Well, after a week or two of observing this man coming into the church and just sitting in the pew, and then after a while leaving, the priest finally approached him and asked him, What are you doing? And the man said, gesturing to the crucifix on the altar, he said, I look at him, and he looks at me. And we're happy. Could it be that being with God and loving God and communing with God, could it be 
that it may be just that simple. I look at him, he looks at me, and we're happy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.